This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. is a complex reality, you might say. We've long accepted the notion that both science and Christianity are right simultaneously. They're describing different versions of, a, of one reality that somehow both exist in the same place. But ask yourself, does that really make sense? Two different realities in the same place? We're coming to realize now, of course, that neither mainstream science nor mainstream Christianity really has it right, but each is a point of view we can use to let us get a little closer to understanding the one reality in which we live. Both of them are belief systems. That's true of Christianity, and that's true of science, which is atheistic. That's its belief system. When we get beyond all belief systems and approach the study of reality open-mindedly, though, we begin to see a genuine reality that is wonderful. Its greatest truth is the certainty that you are an eternal being. You never began, and you never will end. And knowing the truth about that changes everything. Our guest this week is Dietic Kaler, whose new novel is Echoes of Paradise, and, and this is something that she and I share. We're both using fiction, using what we've come to understand is true about the, our greater reality, and, use, and using fiction as a way to help people better understand it. It's much, I think, much more gentle way, and it's a much more profound way for people to come to, to understand these truths. In Echoes of Paradise, which is just out, Deanna explores the themes of afterlife communication and eternal love beyond death. I've read it. It's a lovely, lovely little novel. Welcome, Deanna. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, now, you're, you're a writer. You've been a writer since before you started writing fiction, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I've been a writer for many years. I worked professionally as a writer and editor for various companies, and my degree is in communications. And I also started writing when I was a child. I wrote poems and short stories. I started at about um, age seven. So I've been writing um, most of my life. <laughs> I think it's a disease some of us have. <laughs> There's no cure, I don't think. Um, but now you, you have something led you to begin to think about the afterlife and afterlife-related themes. What, what, can you tell us what that, what that is? What brought you to think about those things? Actually, I've had um, experiences starting from childhood that kind of got me thinking along those lines. Um, I've always been a, a very uh, creative person. You know, like I said, I've done a lot of writing. And also, um, I've always felt compelled to help others and try to make a difference in the world. And another thing is, since childhood, I've been a thinker. I have a very analytical mind, and I've always questioned everything, always trying to figure out um, everything that makes sense of the world around me. So when I was a child, I used to have a lot of questions about the nature of existence, and I wanted to know, you know who and what is God, how do I know he exists. So um, my very first experience that kind of set me down this path 
was I decided to um, test God. <laughs> this is actually a pretty funny story. And um, one night before I went to bed, I put a notepad and a pen on my, my nightstand, and I said, God, if you're real and you exist, please make a mark on this piece of paper. Oh my <laughs> Which is a very silly I, way to I try to. Never, I have never dared to do that. So what I don't know. I was I was a child. I just needed answers. I was one of those oh child. I was like, I'm going to figure things out, and I'm going to get answers. So I did that, and um, you know, I went to bed. And the next morning, I woke up, and I was excited to look at my piece of paper, and I was disappointed when I saw that it was blank, and um, that got me thinking. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that? that God doesn't exist. I mean, he didn't make a mark on this piece of paper. So <laughs> I know this is so funny now. At the time, I was very serious. Um, oh, yeah, but I'd be devastated myself. Yeah, and I was. And I went to my mom, and I said, Mom, you know, this is what I did. I, I asked God, and, and she just looked at me, and she said, God doesn't work that way. You need to believe and have faith. You just need to believe and have faith. But, you know, as a child, I was like, well, how do you do that? You know, how do you just believe, and how do you have faith without proof? So, um, you know, at the time, I didn't know if I would ever get the answers that I was seeking, but um, I just, I, I kept trying. I kept trying to get, you know, trying to get the answers, and I actually, luckily for me, had some extraordinary experiences um, throughout my life that strengthened my faith and eventually did lead me to write my book and, you know, got me some of the evidence that I was looking for. <laughs> you know, at the time, I, I wasn't really even thinking asking God to write on a piece of paper is kind of like asking the wind to do that, yes, <laughs> because God isn't yeah. a person. But as a child, I was trying to make sense of things, and um, so, you know that so was my you first. You, you were having experiences even when you were young that were extraordinary. Um, when I was very young, I didn't have any big things like I had when I was older. But I would have—I I was intuitive. I was, a, I was a very intuitive child, so I would have times where the phone would ring and I'd know who it was, or I'd have a feeling something was going to happen, and then it did. And just, you know, just little things like that. And at the time, I didn't really think much of it. You know, I was a child, and I didn't, I guess I didn't really know anything different and just thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, but as I got older, um, some of that continued. And um, then I had some even bigger experiences. And um, I'll tell you about those in a minute, too. Um, one thing I, I can say, too, I had a dream. I'm a big dreamer, and I have a lot of dreams that um, sometimes give me information ahead of time. <laughs> or give me answers to, you know, to, to questions and problems. Um, one dream that I had was before my niece was even born, before she was even conceived, I um, had a dream about a baby girl. And in the dream, I, I had the physical description was, you know, brown hair, brown eyes. I had a name, um, the name, the name that I was thinking of in the dream. And um, I knew that I was related to this baby, but I didn't know how. And I woke up the next morning and thought, hmm, that's weird. Maybe that's just because at the time I didn't have any children. I'd had a miscarriage, and I was thinking I must have had that dream because of that. Yeah. But then several months later, I was at my sister's house, and she handed me a picture of an ultrasound. And she said, this is your new little niece or nephew. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Do you have any names picked out? And she said, yes, if it's a girl, we're going to name her. And she said the name that was in my dream. Oh, wow. And at that moment, you know, I got chills and I thought, oh, yeah. my gosh, that's so weird. So, um, you know, throughout her pregnancy, people were like, oh, yeah, you're having a boy. And I'm like, mm-mm, yeah. I think she's uh -uh. having a girl. And I think it's going to be this girl I dreamt about. And, and it turns out that's exactly what happened. So, um, so, yeah, I've had experiences like that that kind of led me to believe there's more to life than meets the eye, that there's something going on, like our connections with others are much stronger and much different than we realize. So, um, so yeah, that was a pretty interesting experience. 
Yeah, I, I had actually a similar experience um, with, with a with a baby. Um, my my, I have four grandchildren, soon to be five, but that's another story. Um, and when the fourth before the fourth one was born, they had two girls and a boy, and we all thought, oh, girl, girl, boy, boy. Of course, it should be a boy, and we were all sure it would be a boy. And I. I never dream. I mean, you dream, you're, you're lucky. I very seldom have a dream. But I had a dream in which a, a very advanced being, you know, they're all tall and sort of gaunt looking, um, <laughs> was holding this baby uh, and, uh, and sort of delicately with one hand, long fingers, spread its legs enough so I could see the gender. And it was a girl. And I said, wait, wait, it's going to be a boy. I was so upset it woke me up. Um, but it was a girl. And mm-hmm. she is the treasure of all our lives but um i i so i can identify with that you 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 get i'm not psychic i mean you're psychic i am not at all i don't consider myself yeah i don't consider myself psychic it's just some you know it's not like something that i intuitive intuitive yeah intuitive intuitive. probably but it doesn't happen to me on a daily basis it's just things come and go like that but it it's it is um if we pay attention, we even people like me who are total klutzes, not intuitive at all, um, will get bits of information um, which we can pass off and ignore, or we can do what you do and sort of pay attention to it and, and you know maybe keep track of it. And mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful that you do that. Yeah, it is. It is a pretty cool thing, you know, especially to get that type of information. And at the time, I was like, well, why am I? You know, why do why did I get this information ahead of time? And what the conclusion I came to is that this baby was going to be special. I was going to have a pretty strong attachment to her, which yeah. did turn out to be the case. You know, she was, yes. you know, like a second daughter <laughs> to me. Yeah. Isn't so, that wonderful? Yeah, that was interesting. Um, so as, as you grew older, you, you were getting other kinds yeah. of signs and things? Yes, I was getting other things. Um, in college, I had a couple of things happen to me. Um, one of them, I was driving from college on my way to the mall to do some Christmas shopping. And I was just driving along, not really thinking much of anything, um, except maybe what I was going to buy for my you know, friends and family. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I had this te- intense, overwhelming feeling of sadness. And I just started sobbing out loud. I was crying and sobbing. And I had no idea where it came from. I had no idea why I was feeling that way. Um, and I remember I looked, I looked at the clock, and it was just before 3 p.m. And it lasted a couple of minutes, and then it passed, and I was totally fine. And afterwards, I was very confused, like, what just happened? You know, I, where did that come from? And, you know, why did I suddenly start crying and sobbing and feeling so sad? Um, but I went on to the mall, and then later on, I was at my boyfriend's house, and I called my mom, and I found out that an aunt that I was close to had passed away. Oh. And I asked my mom, you know, well, when did she pass? And her answer was, just before 3 p.m. <laughs> and again, oh. you know, chills through my body, and I yeah. understood, wow. You know, that's what happened. I had this feeling of sadness. Somehow, I don't know how, the moment my aunt, you know, passed, the moment she left this world, I felt it. I felt something. So that was a, a pretty interesting experience. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'll say. You know, kind of about our connections with others and how it doesn't matter where you're at, but you can still still feel something when it happens. Yeah. No, we, we are all intimately connected, and there's no such thing as distance. So um, if if your mind and hers are or in tune that way, um, that's not surprising, but it is kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely time. amazing. And, uh, and then another time in college, I had an experience where um, I was going through a, a difficult breakup, and I woke up one morning, and I felt somebody lying next to me in bed. And, you know, at the time, I was like, hmm, that's odd. And I thought, you know, maybe it's my mother. Did my mother come in and, and lay down next to me? And 
And then I smelled my um, deceased grandmother's perfume powder. I thought, hmm, that's weird. And I opened my eyes, and, and no one was there. And at the time, I remembered thinking, hmm, that's odd. Was, is this just my imagination, or did my deceased grandmother, her spirit, come to kind of comfort me because of what I was going through? And, you know, I, I, I took a lot to convince me. So at the time, it made me wonder, but I wasn't like, yes, you know, this is what happened. So, um, you know, it wasn't so many years later when I had an even bigger experience <laughs> that, um, that gave, you know, gave me more proof of, of the afterlife and, and some more of the evidence that I was actually looking for. And I also have an experience to share. Our lives are parallel, I guess. Um, the, 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 one of the most common kinds of signs is a smell. The, um, I don't think the smell is in the room. I think it's, they, they, they stimulate it in our brains. Okay. But it's common. I, I, that's all I know. And when I was 15, I think it was, my grandmother died. I hadn't been extremely close to her, but somewhat close. I did love her. Mm-hmm. For years afterward, she had this sort of, they called it toilet water then. It was uh, a kind of perfume that was like lilies of the valley and lilacs together, a very okay. <laughs> smell. And I would smell that lilies of the valley kind of lilac smell just out of the blue when I was a teenager. And I never gave it a thought. It would remind me of my grandmother. It, it wasn't until I started, you know, 30 years later mm-hmm. researching signs that I realized she was talking to me and I hadn't known it. I, I just didn't know. It's very good that you were sort of thinking of her and more aware, but that kind of sign is very, very, very common. Mm-hmm. That kind, that's, a smell is the almost, I think, one of the easiest things for them to re- reproduce for us. Yeah, and at the time, you know, I, I, like I said, I wasn't sure, but, um, you know, but later on, as more things happened, it, you know, it gave me more, more certainty. Um, another story. <laughs> I'm full uh-huh. of stories. <laughs> Um, when my husband's um, grandmother passed away, I was in my late 20s at the time, um, it was a very dark, rainy, cloudy, dreary day, and it had been like that all morning. It was the day of her funeral, and we were um, in the church at her funeral service, and all of a sudden, they started singing Amazing Grace, and for a couple of seconds, the sun just came out and came through the church windows and just like lit up the whole church. Oh, wow. And it was just a few seconds, but it, you know, it gave me chills. It was really beautiful. And my husband and I just looked at each other like, wow, hmm. it's kind of, you know, in disbelief. Yeah. And then right after that, the sun disappeared and the rest of the day was just as dark, rainy, cloudy, and dreary as it had been. That was the only wow. time the whole entire day that the sun came out. Yeah. And I remember at the time thinking, hmm, <laughs> that's interesting. What does that mean? And, you know, that was just another one of those experiences. Like, I've, I was building on experiences throughout my life. I'd have one, and then I'd have another. And each time I had one, it got me closer and closer to realizing just how much more there is to life than, you know, than I had ever really even known. Yes. And and so did you start to do research about it, or did what what made you... Because your your book is quite accurate about the kinds of signs that, that, that she gets. And uh, did you start to get more involved in that? I did, but it actually wasn't until quite a bit later. Like I said, that was in my late 20s. Um, many years after that, um, <clears throat> my defining experience, I guess you know that's what I would call it, that kind of led me to the research and the reading about the afterlife, was when a friend of mine passed, and I started noticing strange coincidences that related to my friend, and I was hearing songs everywhere I went that reminded me of him. And at first I brushed it off, like, oh, yeah, this must just be coincidence. But it just kept happening over and over again, and it continued for a really long time. And then I started to wonder, wait a minute, there's just too much of this going on. You know, is there more to it? 
So one day I decided to ask my friends for a sign to prove or disprove what was happening. So I spoke aloud to him and I said, you know, if this is really you and you're actually around me, um, please send me a rose. And I said, send me a pink one because I figured red is, you know, so common. And Easy, tried to, right. Yeah, I tried to pick something a little bit different. <laughs> a challenge, right. Yeah, I'm like, okay, how about a pink one? So uh-huh. ab- about a week or so later, I was um, at a park about to have lunch with my family. And just as I was about to sit down at the picnic table bench, I noticed something on the ground it was directly underneath my seat. So I bent over to pick it up. And guess what? It was a pink rose. It was, you know, made of fabric, but it was clearly a rose, and it was right there underneath my seat, and I just, I got chills again, and I was filled with this, like, amazing sense of of love and peace. It was, like, really uplifting and really inspiring. And my family, and I told them what I had done and that I had asked for this sign, and they just, their jaws just dropped open, and they just looked up, like, wow, you know, that's just incredible. So that was, like, my big defining experience and that's what eventually led me to want to research and read more about the afterlife and more about signs and then of course led to the you know me writing echoes of paradise so, so that, at that, that point made it into the novel too that it did that. i did i did actually use my little story and, and incorporate it <laughs> into the novel because <laughs> right. it was such a such a wonderful incredible story I, I really wanted to share that with people and to you know to help to kind of inspire them and so so yeah at that point i was like okay you know this is so interesting and so incredible and so unusual, and I just need to know more. So I started reading everything I could get my hands on about the afterlife, about signs, and I read tons and tons of books, and I wanted to understand more about it, how it works. I wanted to read other people's stories to kind of validate what I had experienced, and I found that it was so, so common. It's like there's thousands and thousands of stories very similar to mine that people have all the time. And a lot of times they just don't talk about them because they're afraid people might think they're crazy or not believe them. But um, but they do. They happen all the time. And I was just so amazed to discover that. And I spent a lot of time reading and researching. And, and you know, through that I was collecting, you know, a base of knowledge that I could share in my book, too. So I could oh, combine my own experience. Back, we're going to talk about what she did with it. And um, I just and I'll talk about a little bit about why it is people don't talk about this stuff because you make an important point, Deanna. They this is something that is universal and yet it's the big secret, the fact mm-hmm. that the dead are talking to us all the time. But meanwhile, you're listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Doc Radio Network. Our guest is the novelist Deanna Kaler. We'll be right back. talk about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage afterlife forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com. If you are interested in communicating with the people we used to think were dead, then don't miss the 39th Annual Conference of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies in Scottsdale, Arizona, next July. The theme of the conference is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. 
Presenters from as far away as Brazil will be talking about not just mediumship, but also automatic writing and pendulum communication and the astonishing new field of self-induced direct communication with dead loved ones. Two different presenters are working on telephones that will let us communicate with the dead directly. Go to ASCSI.org now for more information. That's ASCSI.org. Join them next July and be amazed. What if there were a place that was the opposite of civilized? And what if it turned out that was the place where human life finally worked? When Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence, she learned more than that our lives are eternal. She also discovered what we really are. And to help us make the most of our lives, she's begun the Letters from Love series of novels. Begin with My Thomas, her well-reviewed account of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Move on to Letter from Freedom, then Letter from Money. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Available on Amazon.com and in bookstores everywhere. Or stop by robertagrimes.com to learn more. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Deanna Kaler about her wonderful novel, um, Echoes of Paradise, which is a great sort of primer on the kinds of signs that the dead give us. And as just as we went to break, we were talking about the fact that um, most people, people, everybody gets these signs. I've come to believe that everybody who makes a transition, maybe certainly more than 90% of the people who make that transition, try to get word back that they're okay. Um, and they do it in ways which are not always obvious to us, but they have a vocabulary, and when you know it, it's pretty easy to spot the signs. People get them, and people recognize them, as Deanna has, and as I have also. But we don't talk about it. And we don't talk about it because we expect people to poo-poo it. Um, we don't want anyone to, you know, sort of convince us it didn't happen we know it did or that didn't mean anything we know it did but um it's time now everyone it's time to start talking about the signs we've gotten from those we love and i guess my hope is that deanna's novel will help people to come out to one another about the fact that yeah they've had these kinds of experiences too so tell us about writing your novel well um when i first sat down to write the novel i you know my 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 very first thing was I wanted to incorporate things similar to what I had experienced in my own life. I thought, wow, I've had a lot of these really great, amazing experiences, and I want to include them. And I also wanted to write a love story because, you know, love is just the most powerful force in the entire universe. And I wanted to um, kind of help reinforce people's beliefs that were very, very connected to others. So, you know, I sat down and I'm like, okay, I, I've got these experiences, and I've got all the reading and the research that I had done, and... I set out to write a love story that kind of incorporated everything. So it's got, you know, it's definitely the big theme of the book is love and how we're connected to others. It also explores our human need for answers and our deep desire to explain the unexplainable because we all have things that happen to us that are unusual that we um, don't necessarily know how to explain. And then, of course, I included, you know, my own research and incorporated 
um, many spiritual and metaphysical concepts, um, such as the signs, the synchronicity, which is like meaningful coincidences, um, the spirit communication, also numerology. I did a little bit of reading about numerology and like seeing repeating numbers. And then, of course, I wanted to talk about the afterlife and some of the you know possible ways that um, that the afterlife actually is like. <laughs> so I've got a lot of um, imagery in my book as well. I've got a lot of scenery, you know, scenes about what, yes. you know, what the person that had passed away, like what their world was like. And um, some of them are quite beautiful, too. And I, I think yes. people will really enjoy that. And, and, you know, my other big reason for writing the book is I wanted to inspire people. I mean, there's almost everybody has, has lost somebody they, they love. And if they haven't yet, they will. And I wanted to kind of inspire them to, you know, kind of let them see that, you know, maybe there is more to this world than we realize. And, Maybe our loved ones do really try to get in touch with us. But um, the other thing is I don't think it really matters, you know, what you believe or don't believe because readers can just enjoy the book as a love story because it's a touching love story and it's filled with emotions we can all relate to. So some people might read it and take away from it some of those concepts and go, hmm, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, that happened to me. Others might just enjoy it and just say, wow, that was a cool love story. So I think it will appeal to both types of readers. It doesn't matter, you know, if you really believe in the stuff or not that you can still enjoy it and you can still be inspired by it. And then maybe you'll even consider the possibilities. (laughs) Well, it's the thing is, it's kind of uh, when a, when a novel starts with one of the lovers dead before, (laughs) it's, it's sort of, where do we go from here, folks? Yeah, Um, right. It it complicates things. It's very, it's very hard to read your novel and not be caught up in the fact that, there's this great love where these people have this apparent severe barrier um, mm-hmm. between their, you know, he's trying desperately to get to her, to comfort her, to, and, and he had been trying to get to her when he died. Right. So, it, you know, they were going to have this life on earth together. And I won't talk about how, I, I won't go to what happens toward the end because I think all of that is for people to discover. Right. But um, certainly we can talk about the start. And, we here we have um, people who've gone, and we've all, I think, many of us have one that got away, um, a lover that that wasn't the timing wasn't right, mm-hmm. um, and um, we went on and we maybe married someone else or we had other boyfriends or girlfriends, and the, as we get older and maybe we get more mature, maybe they do as well. It's the arc kind of happens, and we start to feel we're coming together again, mm-hmm. and um, that's what I sort of saw happening with Celeste and Connor, that they uh, they were coming to understand that they had this love that was bigger than they had recognized. Right, and yeah. He, he's heading back. He's, right, yeah, exactly. Going, it, it's going to be, we're finally going to get to be together, and she would be thrilled about this. Um, and she loses him right then at the start of the novel. Thank yep. you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not to like depress anybody or anything, but but I you know I couldn't I couldn't tell the story that I wanted to tell right, without right. somebody being dead. <laughs> Unfortunately, we, we get to lay the scene. The the, 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 the characters are going to live the scene, but we get to lay it out. And you are you were a hard taskmaster. You said solve this, fellas, and, <laughs> and they did. Um, but but that's that to me that's very gripping. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it would have been easy to write a novel of these two people, and there's another novel to be written about two people who lived the ark and came together, and, and now they're, they're having a wonderful life story on Earth. But that's not this story. No. In this story, this 
woman realizes that this this could have happened. They could have had this wonderful life together, but it's not going to happen. And she's married to someone else at this time. Yeah, yeah um, she is. But that's and has a child. But um, but it's not it. This this is a great tragedy at the start, and you really feel the tragedy in the novel that 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 um, this is terrible that this has happened. But then she starts to get these signs that she at first kind of creep her out a little bit because mm-hmm. yep they do. How, <laughs> how likely is it that you're going to keep seeing the numbers eleven eleven all the time? And by the right. way, that that happens. The, these number signs, I should just say to people in general, watch your digital clock. Now that we have digital clocks and, and uh, in our cars and in our homes, we're getting number signs all the time. And I, there are number signs because if you randomly look at a clock and you see repeated numbers all across, you know, you're not looking, looking to catch it. You just see it. In fact, I've tried to catch it. You can't if you want to. No, you can't. That's true. But... Um, it just happened this morning. Um, I the third novel of my trilogy is just finished. I saved the final version and sent it to my editor, and then I looked at the time at which I had saved it. Guess what time it was? Eleven eleven. <laughs> it was eleven eleven. So I said thank you to my guides. <laughs> That's a little validation that it was ready to send to my editor. And and uh, and this happens all the time. So I urge everybody listening to understand that it does happen, and when it happens, it's a sign from someone who is not in body, whether it's someone like Connor talking to his someone he's trying to get the word to that he's still alive, or I'd see if it, it is signs from my guides, but I've had days when I have seen 1111, uh, 444, 555, mm-hmm. uh, and I, over a 24-hour period, and that's, I mean, I hardly saw any other numbers. I never look at the clock. I generally don't care about time, but that's not random. That's, yeah, I've, those I've are had signs. The, yeah, the so same she thing. To, she comes to see it as signs. Okay, so, so then she starts. Well, you, you you tell the story. You wrote it. You know it better than okay. I do. Yeah. So, so so yeah, she starts noticing. You know, the repeating numbers. She's noticing songs. She's noticing different things that remind her of him. And at first, she's like, "No, you know, I must be going crazy. I must." You know, she knew she was very. She was grieving, so she was very distraught, and she thought, "My mind must just be wanting to notice something." To, to believe that he's really still out there somewhere. So first she just kind of, you know, brushes it all off. And then she starts realizing, hey, you know, there's something more to this. And she wants to know more. And she wants to, you know, connect with him. So um, a lot of the story is um, her taking this journey to kind of, you know, it's like a spiritual journey to kind of find out the truth. And she um, does everything she can to try to connect with him and to try to somehow, you know, it's hard to explain, but even though he wasn't physically with her, he was still with her a lot of the time, and that their love still did survive, you know, that love did transcend death, and that he was always going to be a part of her, and that their love was always going to live on, whether he was actually here on earth or not. And she has to spend, you know, many, throughout the book, she has to do many different things in order to come to that conclusion and to, in order to see, you know, what's really going on. And she also is learning, too, as she goes. Um, Connor is reaching out to her and trying to teach her more about the afterlife and more about how to live a better life herself. So there's, you know, some lessons throughout the book. And, of course, you know, as I mentioned, there's some scenery. And he's just working with her to try to 
to give her all the knowledge that he can, and she's working as hard as she can to try to connect and to try to try to learn from him and to try to keep their bond going. And their bond does go. You know, it's, it doesn't. The bond didn't go away, and it never will go away. And that's one of the points of the novel that you know, love is that powerful that it doesn't really matter where you are. That that love is still going to live on. That it's still going to survive. She she uh, goes with him to, or he shows her. Um, uh, afterlife scenes. Now we we're told by you know many many of our guides, many people who have transitioned who then speak to us that once you go there, you can't go back. It's one way trip. So, but anybody reading your novel can uh, needs to understand that if it's important to show people what it's like there, they can give the same kind of scenery uh, that that there is in the afterlife uh, to the people that they're trying to impress. Um, in, in a sort of way, way station place, um, it's the same kind of place that people go to with near-death experiences. They have very vivid, detailed mm-hmm. near-death experiences, solid reality, uh, beautiful. Everything is exactly like the afterlife, and they swear that they were in the afterlife. But they're always in this interim place. So that's where he meets her. He takes her to um, a place to show her what his life is like there. Um, and and I, that also was wonderfully rendered. I mean, you're right, beautifully. Your your imagery, the way you use words, is like you could tell. This is Thank not you. Your first, this is not your first rodeo when it comes Thank to you. <laughs> as we say in Texas. Um, actually, we never say it in Texas. Other people say it about us. Um, <laughs> but it but it 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 really um, is beautifully written. Um, but why did now you had her be married and have a child? Um, it, her her husband. It would have been easy for you, you to have made her husband into a jerk. Um, it, it, the reader kind of wants him to be a jerk, <laughs> but he's not a jerk. No. He's he's a complex person who loves her very much, wants her not to be crazy um, because he doesn't believe in this stuff for a long time. Um, why did you make her married, and why did you make him the way he is? Well, well, for one thing, I needed some conflict in the book because, you know, you don't want to write a book with no conflict. But I also um, kind of wanted to show the point that, that we have so many different relationships in our lives. And, you know, we have many loves and we have many people that we're close to. And they all kind of serve a different purpose. Like she was, she was with um, her husband, Dave, because he fulfilled some needs. Um, you know, he, he kind of helped support her in certain ways and they had this child together and her life wasn't a bad life, so she, you know, she was getting something from that relationship, but that didn't mean that she didn't love anybody else. You can still have, you know, somebody, you know, like a soulmate out there somewhere and, and still be in a relationship, and I think that's common for, for many, many people, that they're in a relationship, but that doesn't mean that there's nobody else that they love, that, you know, you can yeah. love several people, and, it's, you know, you may end up with one of them and not the others, and that doesn't mean that, that love isn't there just because you've got somebody else that's in your life. So, so, you know, so he was there to make it more complex and uh, and and make there be some some friction. But he, I, I also sort of saw him as every man uh, in a way, um, trying to live his physical life and mm-hmm. live it in a physical way, and um, do the best. He's trying very hard to be a very good husband, a very good provider, very good. He's just like a like an exemplary every man. That's true. So I sort of I sort of saw him as as people all are who are conscientious, good people um, who, before they develop this extra layer of enlightenment, before they come to understand that there's more 
to life than that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's very typical that people live their lives like that. They're trying to have a good job. They're trying to make money. They're trying to support their families. And they're doing everything they can, and they think that they're doing all the right things. But, you know, they're missing something. You know, they're, they don't, they're not tuning into what else is around them, and they're just focusing, like you said, solely on the physical life. And that's, that's very common in a lot of relationships. It's common with men. It's common with women, where they just do all the things they think make for a good life. They're trying to achieve things. They're trying to accomplish things. But they don't realize if they just take a step back that there's so much more, you know, so many more beautiful things, miraculous things, that they may not even be noticing. But he doesn't so. feel a lack. It's not as if he feels a lack in his life. His life is, he has this wonderful, beautiful woman and this beautiful child. His life is perfect. He thinks it is. <laughs> yes. But the, but the problem is, like so many people who have perfect lives, it's as if he's going along with blinders. He has no idea of the greater reality that's around him right. uh, until it hits him right in the face. Um, and to his credit, I think he handles it well. I thought I, I, a lot of, I mean, he, he, he didn't immediately swoon into the knowledge that there's something else. He, he fought it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I thought you handled him well. I, you know, it really, it was, a, it was an interesting kind of love triangle. Um, it, it just even on top of the, the great love story, um, by, by, by making him genuine, I, I think you added depth to your novel that, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. We're going to need to break again. Um, meanwhile, this is Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Always remember that you are an eternal being. You never began. You never will end. When you really understand that that's true, it will change everything in your life. Our guest today is the novelist, Deanna Kaler, and we will be right back. If you're interested in communicating with the people we used to think were dead, then don't miss the 39th Annual Conference of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies in Scottsdale, Arizona, next July. The theme of the conference is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. Presenters from as far away as Brazil will be talking about not just mediumship, but also automatic writing and pendulum communication and the astonishing new field of self-induced direct communication with dead loved ones. Two different presenters are working on telephones that will let us communicate with the dead directly. Go to ASCSI.org now for more information. That's ASCSI.org. Join them next July and be amazed. What if there were a place that was the opposite of civilized? And what if it turned out that was the place where human life finally worked? When Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence, she learned more than that our lives are eternal. She also discovered what we really are. And to help us make the most of our lives, she's begun the Letters from Love series of novels. Begin with My Thomas, her well-reviewed account of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Move on to Letter from Freedom, then Letter from Money. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Available on Amazon.com and in bookstores everywhere. Or stop by robertagrimes.com to learn more. 
Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with the, the novelist Deanna Kaler and her new book, Echoes of Paradise, which I've read and which I highly recommend, talks about a love story that starts with when he's dead. He's already died. She just found that out. She's grieving. Um, and, and it's a wonderful light lovely, beautiful love story because, of course, he's not dead at all. The dead never are dead. They're, and he's trying to get word to her. He succeeds in convincing her he's alive, and their love goes on. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. As I say, I, I highly recommend it. Echoes of Paradise, Deanna Kaler, and it's available on Amazon. So let's, let's talk a little bit. now. How it, I, I won't ask how your novel is going because it's not been out long enough for you to know, but um, you must be getting people sort of talking to you about it a little bit. Um, all right, what are you thinking about doing next? Tell, you, tell us what's going on in your life right now. Okay, well, I have had, um, you know, some readers that are providing feedback. I've got very positive feedback so far. Um, you know, people saying it's inspirational, which was one of my big goals. Um, people saying it's a great love story. Other people saying it made them kind of think, like, hmm, made them yeah. want to know more about the afterlife. So those are all very, you know, very good positive things. Um, I do have a children's book that I'm working on that um, is due out by the end of the year, and it's called A Rare Gem. And it's about, um, it's a princess story, but it's about embracing the differences and the uniqueness of each person. So I think it'll, you know, give a very positive message to children. It's going to be geared for children about four to eight. And um, that's what's common with my work. Even though I'm doing a variety of different things, um, everything I write, I hope to kind of inspire people. And um, I have another book that's out that I um, published last year. It's an adoption memoir called From Pain to Parenthood, also on Amazon, and it's the story of what I went through to become a parent. You know, I start with my, my miscarriages all the way through the adoption process, and I provide tips and resources for others who may be going through similar experiences. And I think for my next novel, I would like to do something that's kind of a part two of Echoes of Paradise. It'll um, have some of the same characters, and I've got some ideas. It's, it's still all in my head. <laughs> So I can't really, you know, go into great t- detail right now. But I, you know, I'd like to do something kind of continuing along with the theme of the afterlife, and maybe also in- incorporating some of the ways that um, people that have passed away can help us here. So that's that's kind of just all preliminary in my mind. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm working on. I also do a lot of volunteer writing as well. I've been um, volunteering as a editor at a website called Bella Online, and I'm their adoption editor. So every week I write articles about adaption to try to help others, and I, um, I also send out a weekly newsletter through them, and I'm just kind of here and there around the internet blogging and, and trying to help people and trying to make a difference in people's lives, so everything I write, you know, that's what, I'm, that's what my goal is, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I'm trying to, you know, make a difference, trying to touch people and inspire them and encourage them and, and just, you know, just make a difference. That's, you know, something I've wanted to do since I was a child, and, and I'm happy to be able to do it. The wonderful thing about making a difference is, as you're, I'm sure, seeing too, is that you don't have to change the world. What making a difference is hearing from one person that who has been affected positively by something you did. To me, mm-hmm. that one person makes the whole of what the effort was worthwhile. Um, Definitely. And, and that's what I find so exciting about what I'm doing too, because I'm also trying to write and help people. Um, but I don't need to see the world move. I need to see just the fact that somebody was touched by what what I did. When I wrote The Fun of Dying, I, I've still to this day, um, it sells well on Amazon, and I get 
I hear from people who tell me the most touching things about how it's helped them mm-hmm. because they were grieving or someone was dying. Um, a widow, uh, now a widow, a woman um, called me and let me know that she, her husband was about to die and they had spent the last weeks of his life every night reading from The Fun of Dying and he went so they could talk about what was, it was basically a preview of coming attractions for him. Wow. Yeah, that's and great thought, that they were able to do that together. Well, I, I said, okay, if that was the only thing I ever heard about anybody who had anything to do with having read my book, that was enough. That mm-hmm. She was so happy, and she said it was changing, transforming what would have been not a happy time. She said, we're sharing one of the best times of our lives. Yeah, that's true. And when, when, I, when I was a child, I, my big goal was, yeah, I want to change the world. And I had right. all these big plans, and, and then I realized I can't change the world. And then, I, you know, for a while, I just kind of gave up. And then when I was in college, I, I tutored. I tutored writing, and, and I noticed the difference I was making in, in those students' lives. And then when I graduated, a friend of mine gave me this card, and it had that poem by Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson. And I'll never forget the one line in it. And it says, to know that even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. And then I realized it only has to be one life. You know, you change one life, you affect one life, and you've made a difference. And I think that's important to realize that, that you you don't have to change the world. (laughs) Yes. Well, actually, you have changed the world. It's just that we're... It's sort of like we're, we're ant-sized, and the world is huge, and you've changed your little bit, and other people are changing their little bit. That's true. And the world is changing um, all around us. Yeah, it's like a ripple I, effect. I, yes, I, and, and you're helping, right, because the people you're helping are helping others and so on, and all around you, other people are also feeling inspired. Um, most of the people working on Earth are not in bodies. They're, they're our guides. Because um, most of us, many of us, have more than one, so they outnumber the people who are in bodies, and they're working very hard to change the world through us. So we're just. <laughs> Mother Teresa said, "I am a little pencil in God's hand," and and that's I, I've sort of adopted that as as my own saying. Uh, I I I just do a little bit. <laughs> Whatever yeah, a good I can one. do, I do. Yes. Now tell me about your adoption. You you had had miscarriages, and so you you felt you needed to adopt. What was what what yeah, was um, right? I had two miscarriages, and um, then we learned that I had an antibody, a clotting antibody that causes recurrent miscarriages. And at that point, um, you know, they said, oh, in order to try for another pregnancy, you'd have to inject yourself with with blood thinners in your stomach every day, and it would be a very high-risk pregnancy. And and at that point, I'm like, you know what, the two losses I had were enough. I didn't want to go through another loss, and I didn't want to put myself through a high-risk pregnancy with all kinds of problems, and I thought... There are plenty of children in this world that need a home. Right. So at that right. point, you know, it's when my husband and I started discussing adoption. And um, a couple years later, we adopted my daughter as an infant. And it, it was a wonderful experience. There were lots of ups and downs um, throughout the process. But in the end, I really believe that we um, have the child that was meant to be with us. And, yes. um, you know, even everything I'd been through, all the struggles, I felt like it was all kind of leading me to where I was supposed to be. You know, that I was supposed to be the mother of this particular child. <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, that's, that's what happened. And then, you know, several years later when my daughter was in school, I felt compelled to write a book about all, all the experiences I had gone through because I knew it could help others because I had been there and I could kind of share, you know, my experiences and my insight and kind of help give them the encouragement and the inspiration to make their dreams come true as well. So, so that's where that now, went, and that's what. Are, led are you to, going to um, adopt more children, or um, are you? Uh, how old is your daughter now? 
Um, my daughter's eight, and at you know when she was younger, oh, we actually eight. yeah she's <laughs> eight, yeah, very young. When um, when she was younger, we actually thought we probably would adopt again, but then we had you know some family crises. We had a a young relative that was very sick, and the timing just would, wasn't right. And then by the time the timing seemed better, we just felt like <laughs> I know this sounds silly, but we just felt like we were too old. <laughs> Because no, you know, I, I know the feeling. Um, because I'm semi-parenting, I'm a very active grandparent, and uh, eight is a very active age. Yeah, I, think I would feel I I had my hands full. I have an eight-year-old uh, myself, eight-year-old grandchild, and um, they have four children: twelve, eleven, eight, and four. Wow! And um, let, let's just say when I'm I, I'm going to be they're they're in the process of adopting a child. And I'm going to be with their children all by myself with my husband, with his help, but he's not that much help, actually, <laughs> um, for, for two and a half weeks. So mm-hmm. I, I hope I survive it. But um, I, I, I know what you mean. It's, it's a wonderful thing, though. I'm so glad that you've given yourself the gift of being a parent. And because you've got a girl, you're going to get to be grandparent. That's yeah. the best part of life, I must yeah. say. It, you know, it is, it is wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful. I feel very thankful to have her you know, in my life and... And, it, you know, it's, it's enough for me. I did, when I was younger, hope to have more children, but, you know, she completes my life. It's, you know, it's enough, and she's, she's just wonderful, and I can't even explain. She's the most compassionate, sweet, you know, kind little girl, and I just, I'm very proud of her. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, my goodness, yeah, you should be proud of her. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's the best. Um, these relationships that we, I, I, I guess I, some people aren't cut out to be parents, but, I, I think it's wonderful when people get to be parents because it it teaches you about love in ways that other things really don't. And grandparenthood is another lesson in love that's different from parenthood. Um, it's the most sort of self-sacrificed kind of love that there could be, but also the most joyous. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think it would be different, but it really is different. So I'm glad you're going to get to have all those experiences, too. Um, I, I had wanted to talk about what what it's like to uh, be using uh, the afterlife evidence in fiction, but I actually we're, we're we're close enough to the end of our time, and I, I, that's a big topic. I don't want to start it, but okay. instead, I just want to make people know about um, a little bit more about your your books. Um, your, t- tell your first one was about your adoption. Tell us what the title was again. Um, my first book is from pain to parenthood: a journey through miscarriage was- to adoption. Yeah, but if you just if you just do a search on Amazon from Pain to Parenthood, it'll pop up. It's also on BarnesandNoble.com as well. And um, you know, if people want to find more information about either of my books, I do have a website. It's um, www.deannakaler.com. D-E-A-N-N-A-K-A-H-L-E-R, and they can um, find a little bit about all of my projects. And also, um, there's some samples of other writing that I've done, you know, throughout the inter- throughout the internet, and you know, some interviews and some additional information. So, um, so, yeah, they can find it there. I also have um, fan pages for both of my books on Facebook. Um, I have an Echoes of Paradise fan page where I talk about not only book news, but also I post articles about the paranormal and the afterlife and inspirational quotes. And then I have a, um, a From Pain to Parenthood fan page as well where I talk about adoption-related topics and miscarriage topics. And, and then I'm on Twitter and I'm on Google Plus as well. So, so there's lots of places yeah, <laughs> that, that people can, can find you. me and you know, if they're interested in either of the topics or both of the topics, then I'm pretty so, easy again, to find. It's, it's Deanna, D-E-A-N-N-A-K-A-H-L-E-R is her yep. name, and you can find her. And her her novel, Echoes of Paradise, is a relatively quick read. It's I, I 
think I read it in one and a half sittings. Um, it, it's hard to put down once you start it. It's very, it's full of emotion. And what delighted me is I've, I've spent my life researching this stuff, and it's, it's the, the signs are very accurate. It's very believable as to what would happen in a situation, an awful situation like this, where someone that she was about to reunite with um, was killed. So I, I recommend that uh, anyone who's interested in a nice love story, and everything I write is a love story, too. Why bother <laughs> to write if it's not a love story? Yes, I would like to know. That's what it's Express. all about. It's all about love. <laughs> it's all about love, and that's the only part that's really fun. So, um, again, th- thank you so much for being on, and this, is, this has been a wonderful, wonderful time together. Yeah, um, thank you, too. Thank you so much. I'm Roberta Grimes. My books are The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, which is available on Amazon, and the first three of my seven letters from love novels that explore how we can use what we're learning from the dead to make human life finally work. I became interested not just in what the signs are, not just in what happens after death, but I became very interested in what reality is and what human nature actually is. Both of them are totally different from what you've been told all your life. Um, my novels are also love stories. No reason to write anything that's not a love story. The first one is My Thomas. This is a Doubleday novel from 1993, and it's being reissued. It's just been reissued by Wheatmark. It's the true story of Thomas Jefferson's beautiful marriage. It had got great reviews in 1993. Letter from Freedom, Letter from Money, begin the series. This will be a trilogy. Letter from Wonder will come out, I believe, in May. We haven't worked that out uh, for certain, but we're, I believe they're shooting for May. All of these books are available on Amazon.com and at bookstores everywhere. Just to ask for them. They're available through Ingram. Please join us next week. Our guest will be Dr. Stafford Betty. He's a professor of primarily Eastern religions who is, I think, the leading living expert on what the afterlife is like. He and Michael Tim are together, the leading experts. They're going at it the correct way. They're looking at what the dead have told us, and they've done the, they've done the research. This is, will be his second visit with us. I'm eager to talk with him again, so please join us. Meanwhile, visit afterlifeforums.com, join the discussion there, and now go out and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are an eternal being and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.